Well, as I said earlier, we are in the book of Ephesians, but we hit a spot last week where we were speaking of the work of the Holy Spirit, namely in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, um, Paul says in, in him, that is Jesus also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, didn't have time for last week, but um, the reason a whole separate, I thought a whole separate sermon was warranted for this, is that being sealed by the Holy Spirit, that's one of the things that we ought to be most sure of. In other words, if you want to know whether you are possessed by God, again, one of his people is his inheritance, as we talked about last week. And if you want to know that you do have this future promise and hope of glory, you need to know, are you sealed by the Spirit? And, and what that means. How do you identify that the Spirit indeed dwells within you? Now, this could be a whole series of sermons, and even just that passage in 1 Corinthians 12, which was read earlier, um, would that could launch us into a whole, whole, whole nother discussion. But in order to just keep it a little bit contained, we're only going to look at the book of Ephesians. So I know there's many places in the whole of Scripture <clears throat> where we could speak of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what it looks like of the Holy Spirit working in us, Understand, if I did not hit your favorite Holy Spirit passage, it is simply because I'm trying to, even in restricting myself to the book of Ephesians, there's so much to say. But I'm going to try and do it this way, and this is a little bit of an unusual sermon in that, uh, of course, normally we would go verse by verse through, uh, through the passage, but today we're going to do it basically with six questions. Six questions to ask yourself so that you can know the Spirit has sealed you. So in, in a way, the goal of this is not, yes, I hope to exposit some scripture to you, explain some scripture to you. These are passages we're going to get to, Lord willing, uh, eventually, and I'll give you a fuller sermon for each one of these different ministries of the Holy Spirit. But the purpose of what we're doing today is more introspective. These are questions for you to take seriously and ask seriously of yourselves, not for me to ask you, not for me to necessarily judge it for you, but for you in your own, in your own soul before the Lord, as the Spirit is dwelling in you, to ask these questions and let the Lord use these questions to reveal your own heart to you. And so, there might be a little bit more um, personal connection to these passages today. Um, and just understand, I understand it's a little bit unusual for how we do things here. So um, the first question to ask yourself to know if the Spirit has sealed you is, first one is, do you still want to know more about God? Do you still want to know more about God? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, we're going to get to this in the weeks to come, there's basically a prayer that Paul gives here at the beginning of the book of Ephesians. In fact, you could argue that from verse 1 through 5, or verse 115 clear to the end of chapter 3 is kind of a big long prayer that Paul makes where he, he, he gets into theology. Just He's like in the middle of praying and then he starts teaching a class on theology and then he realizes, oh yeah, I started a prayer. Uh, I need to get back to the prayer. But 
In any case, one of the first things that he prays is this, in verse 17 of chapter 1, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts open, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in, saints, in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, and so on. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, is given by the Father, the first person of the Trinity, in order to give us knowledge about who he is. It's a characteristic of the Spirit's ministry. Again, we believe in a triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're all equally God, but they differ in personhood. They differ in some of their ministries. They differ in, in how they relate to themselves and the Godhead and how they relate to us. And in this case, wisdom and revelation are characteristics of the Spirit's work. This isn't a prayer by Paul that we'd have the Spirit since every believer receives the Spirit when they put their faith in Jesus. We talked about that. And like we said last week, that is the moment when we become sealed for God as his possession. That's when we have that guarantee of our future inheritance is when we believe. So what Paul is praying for is that the Spirit would continually work in our lives to grow us in our knowledge who God is, which is a speciality of the Spirit's ministry. He is a spirit of giving us godly wisdom and revelation about God. So when Jesus told the disciples that the Holy Spirit would come to them after he ascended into heaven, he calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth three times. And specifically, the spirit he says, is the one who will reveal truths about Jesus and bear witness about Jesus and declare to the disciples what will come to pass until Jesus comes and when, after Jesus comes. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5, refers again to the Spirit in this very similar way. That uh, Verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Mystery doesn't mean that no one can figure this out and only I alone, but rather mystery as used in the Bible means that which was hidden, but it has now been fully revealed to us. He says that you can perceive this insight I have into what has been revealed to me about Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. How do you know if the Spirit is in you? Well, do you still want to know more about God? It's one of the most basic, fundamental works of the Holy Spirit, is to bring to us a revelation, an understanding of who God is. One of the basic, most fundamental works of the Holy Spirit was to inspire people to write the word of God, the scriptures, which reveals to us the will, the character, the nature of God. And so, if the Holy Spirit really is in you, you should want to know more about God and 
more fundamentally, more basically, to know him through his word, which was written by the Holy Spirit explicitly for the purpose to reveal God to us. So whether you've been a, a Christian one minute or one year or 100 years, does the Bible still hold your interest? That's another way to put the question. Does the Bible still matter to you? Can you still open it up and be enraptured by the words of this ancient text? Because the Spirit is the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so whether you've read the Bible cover to cover a thousand times or you're still stuck in Genesis in your yearly Bible reading plan, the work of the Spirit guarantees that you always have something to see and learn in the Bible. It is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It means that every time you read his word, the Holy Spirit's words, you'll find new things constantly to see and be thrilled by that draws your attention, that convicts you, and that shows you something you've never seen before about who God is. Do you still want to know more about God? Now, if you're if, if you do, I just want to, this is an ad now, just by way of reminder, you, you have many opportunities here at this church to know the Bible. We have a Sunday morning Bible study at 9 a.m. that being leads over in the office. We have Sunday morning service, which of course you're at now, but did you know we have a Sunday evening service that has a completely different message? We have time of prayer together. We have a Wednesday morning women's Bible study where they're going through, uh, is it Colossians? Yes, Colossians. We have a Wednesday night all-church Bible study where we're going through the book of Luke. We have once a month men's breakfast on Saturdays, and again, that's coming up this Saturday. Uh, we have, uh, we, if you want an answer to a specific question, you can always come in or call or email, and the pastors would love to ask or any, uh, answer any specific questions. We do counseling if there's some kind of long-running uh, questions that you have about things or struggles in your life. Of course, we do special subject studies. I think we're going to do like an evangelism class coming up uh, soon. And of course, we have retreats. Why do we do all that at the church? Is because we want you to know the Word of God. And if the Spirit has sealed you, you should have this driving desire to know the Word of God. I, 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 I'm astonished I've apparently, I've done hundreds of sermons just since Pastor Dennis retired, which was, I think, six years ago now. Is that right? I don't know where that comes from. I don't know how I have written, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of, of, of sermon notes on, on words and, and sentences out of this book, except to say it is the Spirit's work. I, I, I can't even, I can't, for, well, I, I obviously can't recount every single sermon I've ever preached, um, certainly not. But it, it, it honestly shocks me that I could be that interested in something. Because <laughs> I, I can be kind of flighty in my interests. You know, I don't have a favorite team, I don't have a favorite you know, band, I don't have a favorite like, TV show for the most part, I just can go from one thing to the next. But I have been able to, by the Spirit's power, see wonderful and, and beautiful and hard things that are, um, that are treasures in this book. 
for weeks and weeks and weeks. Like hundred, I don't know if you think about that of your of your pastors or whoever your favorite pastor is, um, that they they hundreds of sermons, hundreds and hundreds of sermons. I don't know where all that came from, except to say it's the Spirit's work. Do you still want to know more about God? Does that excite you? It's the first question. Second question. Ask to ask yourself to know if the Spirit has sealed you. How do you think you are saved? How would you answer the question, how do you think you are saved? Now, of course, Ephesians 2 is most famously known for Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. <clears throat> but I want to go down a little bit because it's really flowing from that, you know, fundamental proclamation of salvation by grace. Ephesians 2, 18 through 22. And we kind of brought it up with the kids earlier, but that, that God's plan for salvation includes Jews and Gentiles being brought into one family. There's only one people of God. And so Paul writes through him, Ephesians 2, 18, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we have access to the Father by the Son through the Spirit, and just one Spirit. And we're all being built together into, you could say, a singular dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so, just for a minute, let's think about this. How do you think you're saved, right? Ephesians is saying there's one way to be saved, and that is, of course, by Jesus, his blood shed for us. There is one way to God. There's one access point. There's only one spirit. There's only one son. There's only one father. But if just for a minute, let's consider what it would mean for people of every kind of religion, every kind of worldview and culture to make it into heaven or to be with God or however you kind of imagine the afterlife. So we're going to just use a little bit of a, uh, a hypothetical here. We already said last week that that breaks down because there are going to be some religions that say other religions and worldviews are wrong. So how could you possibly have them all together? But more than that, imagine going to heaven and asking around, hey, what's your story? How did you get into paradise? Now, you, you happen to meet an ancient Mayan. And they're going to talk about, well, we, you know what we did is uh, we'd make these sacrifices to the gods. Uh, we'd, we would cut out the still beating hearts of some victims, and then uh, we would eat the body parts of this victim. And that's what really pleased the God. That's how we think we get closer to God. Well, <laughs> you ask another person and say, uh, I'm actually a, a vegan, and my belief was that you, sh you, know, you should never eat or harm any other animal or creature or, or human being. <laughs> You know, completely kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. Another says, well, my good deeds outweighed my bad deeds. Another one says, well, I mean, I, I really did really bad stuff my entire life. But at the absolute last second before I died, I said sorry. On and on and on it would go. 
on and on and on it would go. What would that tell you about heaven and eternity? You know, again, this is a hypothetical kind of situation. You go and you hear everyone's kind of testimony about what they, what got them into heaven, on and on, and it would go. And what would that tell you about heaven and eternity as you heard all these very mutually exclusive kinds of ideas uh, and thoughts? Um, what would you think about God, the God that was in charge of, of this? Well, I, I think you'd come to the conclusion that this is totally arbitrary, that there's no uh, right or wrong, there's no good or evil, there's no justice. How could heaven be a place you'd want to be when there's no actual single definition of what good is and that everyone has their own idea of right and wrong? And of course, if you're allowed to argue in, in this heaven, wouldn't people be endlessly debating how the way that they got into heaven was really actually better than yours? That actually cutting out the hearts of people that are still alive and then eating them is actually not good. I mean, wouldn't you argue about that in heaven and say, no, actually, I'm kind of, I think I was better to not do any of that. Now, if you can't, if you're not allowed to argue about that in heaven, then you'd have to admit, you know, the vegan would have to admit, you know, we are just the same, you and I. I decided to avoid harming or hurting any animal and you opted to eat people. And you know what? We're all the same, you and I. It's the same virtue. It's the same value. Well, I hate to make it so grotesque that way. I'm just trying to make a real obvious kind of um, opposites here. But that uh, is exactly the argument that people are trying to sell you if they say that everyone's way to heaven is valid. Everyone's right. You know, everyone, there are many ways into heaven. That's what you're arguing. I know I'm taking extreme examples, but that would be the truth of it, is that people with very different values would all be going there. But what would that tell you about God and eternity? It would tell you God doesn't care at all about good or evil. It's all the same to him. And of course, there are some religions that believe that. But if there is one God, there is only one way. And it's, I think people think that sounds very exclusive. And actually, I think the better way to frame this is if there is only one God, there's only his way. Yes, that's one way, but I, I think people make it, sound, make it sound as if I'm coming up with that one way. Oh, you Christians, you're so exclusive. You're just trying to exclude everyone. And, and so it's just your, your judgment. Well, how about I just say, well, I believe there's one God, and therefore whatever his way is, that's the right way. And his way is through the Son of God, bearing the sin of the people of God, so that by grace, through faith, when we enter heaven, we will not be able to boast, to say, you know, my way of getting to heaven was better than your way. Because what are we all going to say? The same way. <laughs> wow, I was a sinner, and by faith in Jesus Christ, I had access to the Father by the one Spirit. That's how I got saved. And then the person next to say, me too, what a coincidence. Oh, I overheard you talking over there. Did you also get to heaven by grace through faith in Jesus alone? Yes. <laughs> Who can boast? No one. That's the point. What is that all? One God, one way. All have sinned, all fall short. Only the life, death, and resurrection of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, can redeem us and save us. His way is the only way. Now, what does this all have to do with the Spirit? Well, the Spirit is 
testifying to us that the only way to be reconciled to God is through Jesus. Now, I don't, you don't have to turn there, but you can jot it down. 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 through 12. 1 John 5, 6 through 12. And essentially, um, John is talking about how there's many evil spirits, but only the spirit of truth is going to testify that Jesus is God. In other words, you got false prophets, you have antichrists in the world, you have, you know, uh, you know, demonic activity even, but he tries to make clear to us, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, it is that Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is in the flesh and, and is God, died for our sins, shed his blood for our sins, right? summing it up. So I'll be honest now, many Christians this is another basic truth, another basic question. How do you get to heaven? And I don't know that it's, as, a, as someone's been going to church his whole life, it's always so overt that we could ever be tempted to answer that question a different way. There's plenty of Christians in the, in the, in the Bible belt who have grown up in churches too, who are going to tell you what the gospel is, that there's only one way, but, but their lives are not going to match up to that. Either they're going to be trying to earn their way to heaven subtly, they're going to try to win favor with God by their good works, or they're going to believe that their bad works, their sins, keeps them separated from God. And we all, we all do that to various degrees. But I, I will tell you this. This is, just, this is me being honest with you. There are many, many days where the only truth that I can rest on when my head is on the pillow that night and I'm just thinking, God, I, I, I did not do so many of the things that I needed to do today that would have been honoring to you. I missed opportunities. I did so many stupid things, and I sinned in this way. And the, the only truth that I have when I am lying down that gives me any comfort is, God, if I stand before you, the only thing I'm going to be able to say to, like, justify all the junk that happened in my life, you know, not just that day, but like my whole life, is Jesus died for my sins. And God, if, if, if that isn't enough, I am done. There, there's nothing I can do. If you needed something else from me besides for me to plead that Jesus is the only way to you, I'm toast. I, I, can't, I can't withstand that. That's it. That's all I got most days. When I just come down to it is I'm going to stand before God. And if, if there's some other answer or some other way besides Jesus alone, I don't know. I, I don't know what I can do. I, God, I cannot please you. I don't know where I would be. I don't know how I would possibly warrant being in heaven or, or, or having your, you know, being in your presence for eternity. Well, that belief, I think, <laughs> comes from the Spirit, that when everything is, is stripped away, that that's all really any of us have. Um, it's not a work that I am mustering up. I can't even say that it's a faith, so to speak, that I'm trying to grasp at. I, I really believe that that's just the work of the Spirit that would, when you are pressed beyond all things, when everything is going horribly or everything is going super great for you to think, you know, 
when I stand before God, none of that will matter. And the only thing I'll be able to say is, I, I don't belong here except Jesus. That's it. That is a work of the Spirit. And if you've been drawn away from that, tempted away from that, distracted away from that, then you need to ask yourself, is the Spirit really in me and on me? That's, that's, that's where we're going with this. Is You've got to ask the hard question. If you don't think Jesus is the only way, then the Spirit may not be in you. But I hope by way of reminder, at least, by saying these things, that might stir you up and say, you know, I have been a little bit distracted from that truth, but God, don't let me stray from that conviction. There's only one way to you. That's the only thing that your scriptures reveal. That's the only thing that makes sense. Your way is the only way. Third question. Third question to ask ourselves and know whether we've been sealed by the Spirit is, what am I willing to do? What have I, what am I willing to do for the sake of unity? Or maybe better, what have I been willing to do? What, I, what have I been doing for the sake of unity? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. Paul says, that I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you're called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Again, when we get to this passage, Lord willing, in, a, in a, maybe a couple months here, we'll get a fuller, I think, exposition of this. But just notice the characteristics, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of, of the Spirit, the bond of peace, and of course, the one, 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 one. In a way, this flows from the only way to God, is Jesus. It, it, it flows that if the Spirit is putting us into one body, that we would be united. By default, by default, we should have the most important thing in common between us, if we're a Christian. By default, we should have the most important thing in common, and you would think that the natural thing for us to experience is unity. Again, oh, how, how did you Get to heaven. Us oh, through faith in Jesus. Me too. And everyone else should be united. That's the most important thing about our lives. You think the only natural or the natural conclusion is we should all be so united. It should be uh, it, it should be um, the most basic thing for us. Extreme. We could be extremely diverse in terms of uh, who we are. As background, culture, all those things, because guess what? Sinners come in all shapes and colors and sizes. But we should also have extreme unity because we have all come to God the same way. And yet, if Paul has to basically plead with the believers in Ephesus and in Philippians and in Corinth, if he has to basically plead in all a lot of his letters to the churches for unity, what does that tell you? We don't always have unity. Why don't we have unity? Whose fault is that? The Spirit's fault? Is it God's fault? 
Well, again, if the words he uses to describe the attitude we should have are humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, being eager for unity, having a priority of peace, what does that tell you? Where does the disunity come from? It comes from us. It comes from our selfishness and pride. There's a similar, very similar passage in Philippians 2. And Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he begins to talk about how extremely humble and sacrificial Jesus was. And he says, you got to have that attitude. In other words, Paul thinks that the greatest threat to our unity is ourselves, our pride, our ego, our selfishness, our pursuit of our own desires, wanting what we want, not thinking of others, being impatient and unwilling to bend for the sake of others, and ultimately thinking that I am the most important person and am entitled to do whatever I want to get what I think I need. In other words, what one of the signs of the Spirit is this desire for unity. And what it, it basically, Paul is arguing that it costs you something for unity to be reached. It costs me, some, you meaning me, right? The indiv- you yourself reading this, not unity means you need to give something to me. Unity means I need to give up something for you. So when is the last time that for the sake of unity, for the sake of this bond that we ought to have for each other, you said, you know, maybe I won't do this. Or you know what, I don't, I don't really feel comfortable doing this, but I'm going to do this. Uh, another, it, it's, it's a question I would say in Southern California of comfort. Uh, it's not very comfortable to... Um, to come to church more than one time a week. Gas is expensive. I'm just using this as an example. Don't feel guilty, but it's not easy to come to church more than one time, one time a week. For some of you, there are serious uh, issues, even health issues that prevent that, which I understand. Uh, sometimes there are, <clears throat> again, financial issues. Sometimes you're just you're so busy because Southern California is very hard um, I don't know how anyone makes a living out here and, and has time to do anything. If you have kids or a family, I know that's a factor why you can only come to church one time a week. So let me tell you this. When you show up, I always assume it is at a great sacrifice. Okay? I always, let me say that. The fact that you are here, it tells me you're willing to give up a very precious time on Sunday mornings. So that attitude is to be characteristic of the Spirit's work in our life. It, in a way, it shouldn't just be something that, that is a one-time thing, but that there's a constant attitude. If you get a call in the week from someone in this church and they're hurting or they need something for you to say, oh, no, you know, you, you look at your phone um, and you see a, a number or a name and you think, I know this is not going to be a pleasant conversation. Or you see a text message come in, and it's late at night, and you know it's just going to be a hassle. Um, I, 
I wonder if maybe people were more willing to pick up the phone before you had caller IDs and things because you didn't know if it was going to be important or not. But now everyone, I mean, think of the convenience of that to be able to look at a call. And I do this, so I'm not trying to judge anyone. I'll look at a call and I'll be, oh, no, it's this person. Um, oh, no, this is, there's probably something you know, going on. It's probably not good news. Or it, 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 It's that way. Um, and it's so easy. Church, it's very easy to hide that you're not being loving to others. Let me put it that way. It's very easy to hide that you, you kind of love your own free time and your own hobbies and interests over other people. Very easy to cover that. And no one will even know because I don't know why he didn't pick up my phone call. You know, I'm not going to, you know, start interrogating you because you didn't show up to men's breakfast or something. Um, you know, we hardly nag you for not coming on Sunday morning because you're going to have very good reason why you didn't come, you know. Um, but I'm just telling you, in your heart, that's why it's, I can't be up here and just specifically accuse anyone. In your heart, when was the last time that you gave something up for the sake of unity, for the sake of the body, for the sake of us. You know, when you said, oh, I was going to be really judgmental about this to a person because of the way they looked or dressed or what they were doing. And you said, you know, instead, I'm going to go over and I'm going to encourage them rather than secretly judge them and be bitter in my heart against them because they're doing or not doing something. It just, you got to search out in your own heart. <laughs> Sometimes that's a sacrifice to say, oh, maybe I'm just being a jerk and I shouldn't think of that person that way. I mean, that's a sacrifice to make of your, you know, desire to judge someone else. Look in your own hearts on that one. I, I, won't, I won't say any more. I, I was going to get into a lot of stuff, but maybe better to keep my mouth shut. Okay, fourth question. Fourth question. The, the rest will go fast, okay? The rest will go fast. Fourth question. Do you grieve the Holy Spirit with your words? Do you grieve the Holy Spirit with your words? Ephesians 4 25 through 32. Um, actually, we'll go to, I'm sorry, uh, 29 <clears throat> to 32. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So it's very similar language of sealing as in Ephesians chapter 1. So, <clears throat> In the context, grieving the Holy Spirit is sort of the second half of the command to not let corrupting talk come out of your mouths. In other words, don't let your words be a cause for the Holy Spirit of God that is in you to be grieved or distressed. And you'll notice that you have kind of the full title here. You don't, this is the first time kind of this full title of the Holy Spirit of God is used, and it's used in reference to grieving the Holy Spirit by your words. Now, <clears throat> we live at a time when even the most quiet person in here, who you think never says a word, is very shy, can be an absolute terrorist on social media, and you don't even know. Right? Those words are included in this. This is not, I know it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, 
but your mouth is just speaking what's in your heart, and that can come out just as easily words typed by your fingers. And of course, at the time of Paul, you know, they wrote, they wrote letters, and, and uh, they, didn't, they didn't have typewriters, they certainly didn't have internet or, or TikTok or Instagram or, or social media, but the, the sense of it is certainly that all of the words that proceed out of our hearts, whether they come out of our mouths or our fingertips, will be held accountable. And you can grieve the Holy Spirit by the things that, that you say that you intend for other people to hear you know, or, or read. The Spirit by nature declares truth and reveals God. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what should come out of you? Truth and words that reveal God. And when you look at the following verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And this is to say that there is a way that you could speak truth, you could speak words that reveal God, but they are full of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. So it is not just that you're obligated in all of your words and in your, your, your text messaging and, and social media posts to be true and to reveal God, but that there also must be a, a gentleness about them that they are not to be full of vitriol and spite because let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. I, I think I've told many of you this, that uh, I basically got entirely off Facebook and I wasn't really on it that much anyway, but I, I basically got off Facebook during COVID because of two Facebook groups that I was in. And those two face group, Facebook groups that I was in were uh, Master Seminary alumni Facebook groups. And just the kinds of things that these pastors were saying to other pastors, it was the most, some of the most discouraging stuff I've ever read. It, it, it almost like broke me, like put me in tears. Just think about it now. I almost want to like get emotional. I, I don't understand how these men, just because you're defending the truth, I'm revealing God could just, and they weren't, some of them were just handling scripture in such poor ways, but in their mind they are, but being absolutely lacking in humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another with an eagerness for, for unity and a priority of peacemaking. And it was because of basically these other, you know, brothers who I have so much in common with, it's like, I don't want to sit here and just be angry and judge these guys. So I got off Facebook pretty much entirely. Uh, almost entirely because of, <clears throat> of, uh, of those groups. It's so discouraging. That is not a work of the Spirit. That grieves. I, I am judging their hearts now, but I'm not trying to judge any, any individual heart. It's just I know that some of the things said there grieved the Holy Spirit of God. That is not a mark of the Spirit. That is not a sign that the Spirit has sealed you if you allow your words to become causes of division and anger in the body of Christ. You know, that's the larger body of Christ, but in the body of Christ. <coughs> fifth question, fifth question. Are you in harmony with other believers? Ephesians 5, 18 
and 19. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you in harmony with other believers? Obviously, there's a pun there. It's a unity thing, but also a singing thing, all right? Now, again, we'll get to the passage when we get there, and there's a, a nuance to be filled with the Spirit, even though you already have the Spirit. So this is not a command. This is a, a different command than to have the Spirit. You have that once you believe that Jesus has died for your sins and risen again, that he's the Son of God and Son of Man. You receive the Spirit when you become a Christian, and yet here is a command that you must be filled by the Spirit, which is sort of an admission that you can have the Spirit, but not really be giving the Spirit an opportunity to work in your life, or that you might find yourself at times not really experiencing or being open to the Spirit working in your life. So how can you put yourself in a situation where the Spirit can work bountifully, overflowingly in your life? How can you put yourself in a position where if you're not exactly where God would have you be in your life of faith, you can start being oriented in the right direction with the right attitudes and priorities? Well, here Paul's talking about what we would call corporate worship, a church service where believers can speak to each other and sing to each other and to the Lord. Now, if you're not a good singer, be thankful that really the word there, it says um, uh, addressing one another. It, it's literally to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Who do you sing and make the melody to? To God. And, and where do you make it? In your heart. So <laughs> if you're not a very good singer, you can say, I, it doesn't matter how you sound. As long as it is heartfelt and to the Lord, it, it's a beautiful noise. It's a beautiful noise. So this is not talking about necessarily literally being good at singing. But really, I know, I know, especially during COVID, some people think that you can be a Christian on your own. COVID and technology have combined and, you know, to bring virtual church and live streaming conveniently to your living room, to your phone. You could be in the bathroom and listening to great preaching. Amazing. You can be in the shower, listening to a podcast and pastors talking about, you know, theology and things. You can virtually listen to a great praise band with beautiful people singing beautifully with their million-dollar stages and instruments and cameras. And you could be in the middle of just a wonderful song, you know, a harmony-filled worship praise time from the comfort of your own car on the middle of the five freeway. But you know what you can't do sitting by yourself in your room or in your car or in your bathtub or shower? You can't be filled with the Spirit because it says here that you are to address one another. You can't one another by yourself. So you have a really big bathtub we're not all going to fit in there to one another this, and that's probably not the place where you want to one another this one anyway. Paul is saying that you need other people to speak and sing truth about God 
to you, and you also need to speak and sing truth about God to other people. Colossians 3.16 is a parallel passage, and there he doesn't talk about the Spirit, but interestingly he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So instead of mentioning the Spirit filling you, he uses a parallel idea. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Remember, the Spirit through the word reveals truth to us, reveals God to us. So again, well, yes, you can find preachers far, far, far more eloquent and refined and knowledgeable than me. It's easy. I listen to them too. What you can't do, though, on YouTube is teach and admonish that pastor in all wisdom. You can't one another the sharing of God's word by yourself in your house And therefore, the word of Christ is not dwelling in you richly. In other words, you need to receive in a worship service biblical teaching, but Paul's clear in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 that you also must be speaking and teaching other people the word of God. And that doesn't necessarily mean in the pulpit with a tie and, you know, prepare a sermon, but just as you talk to other people about how their week went or how their day went, you're speaking God's truth and God's wisdom to each other, God's care and God's love and concern to each other. You cannot one another by yourself at home. You cannot be filled with the Spirit alone because you cannot fulfill these one another passages. And let me also say this. If you do just show up on Sunday... And all you do is sit, listen, and leave. You're not really manifesting the Spirit's work in your life either. Until you one another, that is to make a deliberate choice to talk to others, be a part of the spiritual lives of others here, you may not be able to say conclusively, I know I've been sealed by the Spirit. Because the Spirit wants us to be, and it just flows from the unity thing as well, to be together and the Spirit's work, I mean, fundamentally, the Spirit is given to us. It's a gift, proceeds from the Father and the Son to us. So if we have the Spirit in us, then we fundamentally are those who give to others, sacrificing for unity, speaking to each other truth, singing with each other, there's kind of a giving. I mean, we're not even talking about the spiritual gifts because it's not here in Ephesians, but you can think of the Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. What are those spiritual gifts for? Are they for me? No, they're for giving to others in service. It's the whole point of 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 about love is the gifts are specifically intended for you to give to others. You cannot be filled with the Spirit and be a hermit. You you cannot be filled with the Spirit and just show up to a church service and leave if you have not one another. Last question. 
And this one is the simplest of all, uh, or I'll say the least of all about it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. Oh, we'll start in verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Last question is, do you pray? Are you in the spiritual fight through prayer? And I know it says here talking about the sword of the Spirit is the, is the Word of God. So, but that's talking about um, this is how we address life's issues. But when it talks about what does it look like to, 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 to work together with the Spirit, what, is, what does the Spirit do? It helps us in our prayer. I won't belabor this one because I feel like one of the most convicting questions you can ask anyone is, so what's your prayer life like? Well, there's nothing that's going to make me you know, hide in a hole faster than, than you start asking those kinds of questions. Because it's hard. I mean, I, I pray when I can pray, you know, and I pray as often as I can, but it's not enough. I pray as, you know, deeply as I can, but it's not enough. I, I forget to pray. There are times when I'm so exhausted at night that I get like two sentences into prayer and I'm, I'm out. There's too many mornings where um, it just, the, the hustle and bustle gets too fast and I, I don't even have a second uh, to, to pray, um, often just a reactive prayer guy. You, you have prayer needs, let's pray, and I'll pray for you. But I'd rather, I don't want to just be a reactive prayer guy and be a proactive prayer guy. I'm, again, just being honest, like prayer life, that's, that's so hard. But one of the works of the Spirit in our life is, is for us to be in communication the man, the woman of God cannot have the spirit of God if there's no desire to pray. And really, that just means to communicate with the Lord. The spirit is the third person of the Trinity, exists in eternal communion and unity with the Father and the Son. If we don't have a desire to express that community between the Father and the Son and the Spirit and between the Godhead and us, if we don't have a desire to express that unity with an attitude of talking to God, imploring God, listening to God, meditating on God's word and wanting that word to be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's possible that such a one doesn't have the Spirit. Do you pray? I know I... I think a message like this, where again you're being asked something, you're asked, being asked to reflect, um, it can you can either easily dismiss it because you know, well I don't you know that that's all just too judgmental, it's legalistic, and you know you just just dismiss that kind of sermon. I just wanted to hear you go through the book of Ephesians. Um, I know a possible response is also to feel super convicted and say I just don't match up. Am I even a Christian this morning? Um, I, I, I don't even know that I could stand, you know, that kind of scrutiny. Let me say this. Paul, Paul closes his letter like this. He, he brings up a brother. He says, so that, this is the last uh, verses, three verses of Ephesians, or four verses. So that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. Take a kiss, my beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. 
peace be to the brothers and sisters in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Does it sound like Paul was just trying to run a guilt trip on them when he brings up all of this, all these commands and all this theology and all these questions we should ask us? No, he, he wants a relationship with them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to remind them of God's love for them and his own love for them. Nothing I'm saying this morning is intended to, to be discouraging or judgmental. It's really out of just love and, and wanting to see people in this church grow in their faith towards God. Really, I, I can't stand here and not ask these questions of myself. And so I've done a lot of you know, soul searching, still am, as I look through these questions and think about my own heart and my own life. But this church, it lives or dies by whether we have spirit-filled people in the pews, by whether you are a Christian. And there's nothing more encouraging for yourself than to know that you are a Christian and that you really have been sealed by the Spirit, that your desires are for these things. Not that you're perfect in any one of these things, but that your desire is to grow in these things. And so I pray that none of this is a discouragement to you in your hearts. I, I pray, Lord, that if in any of this you have a question that you'd want to ask someone here or ask me that you do these one another's. If you're not a Christian or find that maybe I'm not a Christian this morning, well, the door is open. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way that by his shed blood you can have peace with God? If you have any questions about that, please talk to me or someone here at this church that you know has been sealed by the Spirit of God and turn to Jesus with faith and trust. Now, if you're somewhere in between all of that, stick around, talk, and share life together with someone else in this room and just be a part of it. Come to Sunday evening if you can. Come to Sunday morning Bible study if you can. Come to Wednesday women's study or the Wednesday night study and be a part of what the Spirit is doing in this church. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for each one here. Really, truly I do. And that if there are any who don't know you, that they would come to that realization. Sometimes that's the hardest work is to realize that maybe we're not where we were, we thought we were, or who we thought we were. Um, but I, I pray, Lord, that more than that, he, your name would be honored and glorified, that this church would be a place where we are you know, led uh, by your spirit, that we are being built up by your spirit, that we are um, teaching the spirit's truth and, and having that revelation change our lives, um, that we'd know Jesus and know the Father. So I pray, Lord, you continue to work in our lives, continue to grow uh, our faith more and more until the day that our faith is made sight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.